This episode is brought to you by Mocas, premium quality loafer shoes for father and son. Find matching pairs of stylish, high quality shoes for the special man and boys in your life at mocas.com forward slash Yael. Mocas is spelled M O C K A S. You'll love the father and son combos at mocas.com forward slash Yael. Jewish Latin Princess, episode 73, fashion icon Adi Heyman. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at JewishLatinPrincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show and Happy New Year, 5779. I hope you all had a meaningful Rosh Hashanah and surely now you're getting ready for Yom Kippur. I don't know about you, but I'm super optimistic and excited about this new year. And sharing my optimism, today I have on the show a woman who exudes self-confidence and joy. She's not a spiritual guru or a teacher. She's a fashion icon. Yes, she's a D. Heyman. You know Adi, right? Profiled in the New York Times, named one of New York City's most fashionable women, and a regular at New York City's Fashion Week, Adi was one of the first to promote modest fashion through her blog, Fabology, presenting her vision of what modesty could be and look like, which was, of course, influenced by her experience as a writer in the fashion industry and her love for Judaism and Jewish life. Adi became a pioneer of what we know today as the modest fashion trend. By the way, is it here to stay? What does Adi think of modest fashion and of Jewish observance in general? How does one deal with being in an industry whose values aren't exactly aligned with Jewish values? Listen to what Adi has to say because it applies to whatever industry you're in. Never seen as a challenge or hindrance by Adi, she attributes her Judaism to her success as a fashion blogger and influencer, wearing her wig, long sleeves, and longer hemline, shoulder to shoulder with designers and models. Adi was a pioneer in the industry. So what new fashion trend is she onto now? She says, modesty is her badge of honor as a Jewish wife and mother, and she celebrates daily her life's choices. Whether you're an adopter of modesty, a fashionista, or none of the above, this interview, ladies, will speak to you. I guarantee it. Before we begin, I want to note two things. Number one, I made a mistake on the last episode, episode 72, with the wonderful Bracha Getz. I said in my introduction that Bracha had not finished her Harvard degree. That was a mistake. She indeed finished pre-med at Harvard University. It was medical school which she didn't finish. My apologies for that. And by the way, if you haven't heard that interview, it is super insightful and quite apropos to Yom Kippur as well. So I highly recommend it. And number two, I want to mention that this recording with a D has Manhattan noises in the background a few times, but it is still pretty clear. I just want to apologize ahead of time because sometimes we just can't control these things. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it nevertheless. So here we go, ladies. Here's the lovely Adi Heyman. Hey, man, welcome 
welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. I'm so happy we got to connect. I get to hear all about everything you've been doing in the past and everything that's up and coming. You are the creative force behind the lifestyle website Fabology, which was one of the first, if not the first, to espouse to promote modest fashion and a very successful site, uh, which you've taken down. And we'll talk about that. But it managed to appeal to women of all backgrounds, not just Orthodox Jewish women, um, even though you were unapologetically Jewish in your content. Was that your intention from the outset? Was that something that surprised you? What was going on there? Well, um, at inception um, in 2010, when I originally um, launched Fabology, it was a private Facebook page. Um, I launched it for friends, my community to share and engage. Um, at that point, there was no Jewish lifestyle blogs.coms that were, I guess, allowing and supplying the aesthetic that I wanted in terms of fashion, lifestyle, culture. So it was really a passion project. I just launched it anonymously on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And it was really just an extension of myself, my life, my experience. And my background um, is in journalism. So I wrote and I, you know, it was just putting out content that inspired me, but through the filter of my Jewish life. And I really focused on things I felt only applicable in those areas, but within the mainstream market. Um, as it grew in following, I opened to a wider audience when I officially launched um, a website, Babology.com. And um, in my 20s, I was incredibly fortunate to work in an industry where I was privy to high levels of fashion, culture, creativity, and um, my own fashion and my own lifestyle really grew to reflect that exposure. Mm -hmm. So Babology.com was just me putting out this content that was a synergy of kind of like the inspiration I took from my Judaism, the inspiration I took from the fashion industry, and then my own unique spin on it. And, um, you know, when it came to skirts, I wasn't really asking like community dress shops in terms of modesty. I was looking at runways and I was reading articles and I was watching how my colleagues were dressing. And so I kind of came from like an off the wall, or at least at that point, it was really a pioneered vision of what modesty within um, my Judaism could be. Mm -hmm. And technology grew and I, um, I was profiled by the New York Times and it was, it was really all amazing and flattering. And I put together a great collective of women who wrote for the blog and who have gone on now to really have their own sites and own careers. It's, it's incredible to watch. Um, but yeah, so that was the journey. It was great. It was just putting out a lot of content and it was really on the wave of blogging. It was before social media in terms of Instagram and right. Snapchat and all of that. So it was, it was just new and it was fresh and it was exciting. And I had my son when I was 30 and I wanted something to do from my apartment um, so I could be with him and be present, but also still be creative and engage. Um, and that was it. And, you know, Fabology shifted a perspective. When a Jewish or even modest woman, when they would read my blog, they left at least I felt inspired by a really different, very optimistic, um, foot forward presentation of fashion and Judaism. And mm -hmm. um, it was as inspiring for me as it was, I think, for the readers. And we were just on this incredible journey together. And as you see now, modesty is mainstream and their blogs are, you know, all over the place. There's yes. Shoppable sites like The Modest, 
Com that are geared towards modest fashion and curating that lifestyle, but in a really contemporary way. And I, I love it. I think it's it's incredible. It's amazing. It's amazing. So let's touch on that. You mentioned that optim that optimistic outlook that people appreciate so much from the content you put there and that positive spin on 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 Judaism and things as modesty. Where does that come from? Because I feel like you you have that that outlook that you know to embrace a person's more creative side, a Judaism that is fun, that is engaged with the world, that doesn't reject the world, but rather embraces who we are within you know within the parameters of Jewish life. Um, would that be fair to say about you? And where does that come from? It's definitely fair to say. Um, I think I'm by nature an eternal optimist. I I definitely see the silver linings, but I also I, I try and live very mindfully. And the choices I make, I value, I love, I cherish, and I respect. So for me, Judaism may have guidelines. But I don't think that has to be restrictive or negative. In fact, if it was a negative, I probably wouldn't be doing any of it. Mm -hmm. I live a life that I felt wasn't empowering and freeing and inspiring. So for me, my Judaism, I did convert to Judaism. So it's, it's my choice. So I think I come from a point of view of I'm so proud to be able to dress modestly. It's for me, really the embodiment of my life choice in religion. And I, I mean, I, maybe not that way for every convert, but for me, it feels right. And it's, it's never a negative. In fact, I think a lot of the impetus for pathology was because I did experience some negativity in terms of, like I said, the guidelines within Orthodox religion in general. Um, that we can't eat this, we can't do that, we have to wear this or we can't wear that. And I just, rather than say we can't wear this, I simply proved we can wear this and the sky's the limit. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm all about action over words, so I'd much prefer to prove rather than preach. And with <laughs> I kind of just tunnel visioned and Taylor made a website focused solely on the celebration of my lifestyle. And then, I mean, Hashem, it, it was really a snowball. I, you know, I was heavily photographed, street styling modestly. I openly wore a wig. And people sometimes ask if my Judaism was ever a detriment to my work, and absolutely not. I think it was kind of the catapult that put me where I am now and even grew the modest industry to what it is now. So no, I don't think detriment at all. In fact, I think quite the opposite. Amazing. Amazing. It's, it's, I, 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 I'm, I'm getting chills just listening to you, to you. So, so all of this happened and you're on the spotlight and your reach is growing and you're appealing to Jewish women who are identifying and relating with your approach to fashion and to the general population and the industry, this niche of modest fashion kind of takes on, you know, it just took off. And now you are on to the next thing. You've taken the site down, but only because you're moving towards other bigger and better projects. What's what's next for Adi? Um, I, I did take the site down and I, I just felt like it had filled its void. And I thought there were other people putting out content. It's a tremendous amount of time um, running a blog. And um, I had done it for many years. My son has grown older. And, you know, I worked, I kind of jumped back in the industry and I wrote in different capacities, non-Jewish capacities. And it was nice to kind of just do my thing for a while. And like I said, I felt like that void and there was support in the modest area that 
I didn't need to like give my life to it anymore. And I continue to live it and I continue to breathe it. But, and you know, my Instagram, I, I also continue to post my own fashion, um, but not in a professional capacity. Um, next for me. Um, I personally ask a lot of questions. I always have. I think it's really important to ask questions, to start conversations. And the longer I've worked in fashion, um, the more informed I've become. And I guess the less I've become starry-eyed and I guess excited by all the hype. Um, and a little more practical. And for me, um, a push towards transparency in fashion, ethical practices, sustainable practices. Um, I think this is the future. I think if it's not the future, then we should all be pushing it to be the future and believe it will be the future. Um, I, I posted some on transparency and fashion on my Instagram account. Yeah, I saw that. Tell us about that. Well, I, I don't know if everybody is aware. I was recently in Copenhagen for a um, fashion summit. Uh-huh. Um, Del McCartney and a lot of notable designers who are in the um, ethical, sustainable space and who are proponents of fashion's change across the industry to inform, engage, um, include. And um, transparency in fashion is basically a mindful shift from material value towards social values, um, ownerships towards stewardship. Um, We buy clothing and it's really a trust game. When we purchase a skirt, Mm -hmm. we trust the brand we're buying from, from the quality, from the production process. And as shoppers, um, we are now in this era of information with social media. I mean, we're so over-informed. And with that, I think comes a responsibility in us asking where were these clothes made? Who's been involved in making them? And what is the long-term impact? Mm-hmm. I mean, no business is 100% sustainable. But as a collaborative mindset, I think fair trade, labor laws, proof of origin, all of this, we we have to be a catalyst for positive impact and change because there's a lot of very unethical processes going on. Child labor is a big problem. Right. It told me I could have a skirt for $24.99 or even $2,000, but it was made in those conditions. I I wouldn't buy it. I can't imagine many people would if animals were injured. And I'm not, I'm not saying don't wear leather, don't wear fur. I'm not, I'm not here to preach. I'm just saying, find out how your clothing is made. And if we ask, the industry will supply. And we have seen a shift towards this. I mean, Gucci went from kangaroo fur on their slippers to now shorn cheap fur. And Michael Kors is fur free. And, you know, Stella McCartney is a huge pioneer. And that and she's, she hasn't wavered. And she, I, I just see so much of it going on in the industry. And I think it's exciting. And the same way I'm mindful about my hemline, I'm mindful about the products I purchase and where my money goes. Mm. And I think it's exciting to think we could know about the forgotten man in a different country that's running a small factory with his family and producing beautiful textiles. And it just, it, it, we, we lose all of that. Yeah. And I, that's so real and it's so important to what fashion is at core that, um, I, like I said, I, I see this as the future of design and um, I have been putting a lot of time in that space and a lot of it's technology based on the open supply chain with blockchain technology. Um, so yeah, that, that excites me and I am working in that space. Um, I'm also relaunching a website that will be Jewish lifestyle again, mm. but capacity. Um, you'll have to wait to see about that. Mm. And yeah, and I'm collaborating with some, some women I've worked with in the past to do some really cool things. So I'm excited um, with this new school year and L and the new year. 
I, I think I think the months to come will bring a lot of very exciting pioneering for Jewish women again. And I, I hope I can, you know, be a part of it. So or lead it. Who knows? Adi, I read you once said that in the fashion world, at least to insiders in the fashion world, modest design is a bit rebellious. And interestingly, I noted that you began adopting a modest, modest wardrobe as you became closer to Orthodox Judaism in your teens, very early on, a time where, you know, I look now I'm, as, my, as my kids are getting older, I look at the world around me and, you know, maybe in your teenage years is not that cool to be modest. And contrary to what you did back then, many Jewish kids start rejecting or pushing a little bit the boundaries of modesty and things like that. Do you think the challenge of dressing modestly during your teenage years while keeping to your fa- being fashionable was in a way your own form of rebelliousness, your rebellious act? No, not at all. Uh-huh. The opposite. I was, I was just a good kid. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I actually, when I made that statement, I think it was 2012. I want to say there was an article that came out by um, journalist, fashion journalist Susie Minkes, and she actually kind of summed that up. It wasn't at that point. Modesty was not really trending. Yet it was on the cusp of it, and I read this article she wrote, and she was talking about um, Valentino. They it's they put out the collection of maxi dresses, and it was very covered, but very innovative, and a new com- contemporary take on kind of that red carpet um, formal gown. It was at a time where uh, Celine was showing the midi skirt, and this was like revolutionary. That all the whole collection was really largely based on a hemline that was below the knee. Mm-hmm. But um, the Olsen twins were launching, had launched the row, and it was gaining a lot of traction and really opening a new kind of space within the fashion industry that didn't exist. This was a type of clothing that a younger, a younger um, like fashionista typically would not wear. So the early adopters of the modest look were really kind of the pioneers or the people that were beating to their own drum. And it was a bit of a rebellion. It was almost like a, we're doing this and the Olsons basically could dress any way and look any way. And they were choosing to do something that was very atypical and, um, but having a lot of pride with it and actually something really beautiful within it. And so that for me within the industry, it felt rebellious. It almost felt like, no, no, no. Like I'm a D Heyman. I'm going to fashion week. I'm going to wear a skirt. I'm going to wear a wig and I'm going to wear long sleeves, even if it is summer and I'm going to make it look amazing. Amazing. (laughs) They always say if you're good enough, they'll look. And there was a sense of rebellion in that because we were not playing to industry. We were making industry work for our lifestyles and our choices and our unique point of view. So that was really for me, I think when I made a comment about the rebellion Mm -hmm. and then mainstream after that. But I think, I think the fact it was a bit edgy and a little off kilter when it started, that was part of the appeal for people because it was, it was cool. It was different. It definitely unexpected. Right, right. Well, let's talk about industry because, I mean, you being in the industry and with such a clear head and just the, so you, you seem like such a focused person and your Judaism is front and centered is already a novelty. I mean, it's not a world, an industry where it's so typical to be religious, quote unquote, like j- dressing modestly, but just not just dressing modestly, eating differently. I mean, leaving work early on a Friday, uh, maybe not even touching male colleagues or shaking hands. I don't 
don't know, these kinds of things in the fashion world are are rare. So I'd love for you to paint the picture for listeners of what that was like or is like, and maybe share with us some of the challenges, but also some of the cool stories or moments where you felt like proud or validated that you're doing what you what you believe in. And despite maybe it being challenging. Well, I don't like to, to associate my Judaism challenge personally. Good. Uh, you know, I think everyone has the right to believe and do what works for them. Judaism feels like home and it's hugely inspirational to me. Um, but it, it was never a setback or burden, as I said before. Um, was it always simple to walk in line and be an observant, you know, Jew within a secular industry? No, but um, I was, I think Brian Rathbone, who says anything worth having is worth working for. Yes. And I, I think it's just a mindset. Do you want to work out? Do you want to eat a certain diet? Not necessarily kosher, but what's important to you in life? Right. Life will be probably a set of challenges in some way because things don't typically come so easily to, uh, across the board. But it's really choosing, I think, what what challenges are worth your time and your energy. And you're going to get up every morning and think like, this is this is amazing. I've got this. Like, let's let's hustle. And for me, my Judaism was always worth that. And I I I think the industry support of that was also hugely um, impactful to me because I was given a lot of opportunity, most of them which I did not even take at the time because I was young and wasn't sure when I had started the blog exactly what I was getting into. But um, I think it really comes down to what you're asking about Judaism and industry. It's, it's outlook. Mm-hmm. And we have to celebrate our life choices. And within fashion, I chose to do that. And um, I chose to be happy while I was doing it. And I think we place a lot of power on the physical, allowing it to dictate our mental state. And I think we shouldn't be happy because, but we should be happy regardless. And I think if you have that mindset in any workplace and you're going in thinking, okay, I'm happy. This is my life. I've got this. This is worth the work I'm doing. An industry will respond. And I, I remember um, it was one fashion week and it was a, it was a winter patch. It was February. And I had put together one of my outfits. Some agree, some maybe not, but I was wearing stirrup pants and pumps and pump heels and this type of like oversized sweatshirt. And um, there's a respected street photographer named Adam Katzindik. And he photographed me. He often does in what I wear. And as I was leaving, it was a Friday, he yelled after me. He like, he was so excited. I guess he loved the look and the whole shot he had gotten. And he yelled, good Shabbos. Like, I just waved and I had to leave. I was leaving early because like you said, you have to leave early on Fridays often. And especially in the winter. But um, it just, it, it was good. It felt like this is, this is life, you know, like you really, you can have it all, whatever that means to each of us. And I felt like at that moment, I did have it all because I wasn't compromising. Um, I might sacrifice some, but I'm definitely not compromising. And so, like I said, the industry has responded and in different capacities. And I've been offered reality shows and I've been offered jobs for notable people. I mean, it's just, it's really amazing what Hashem has provided. Um, and I, I just try and navigate, you know, I have a really clear focus of where I want to be in the future. And um, I just kind of keep that in the distance and I pivot and I may take other opportunities that take me different ways along the track. But um, I have a lot of self-belief and I, I try and stay really focused. 
I hope you realize how amazing it is what you're saying to people because it's like this this Jewish pride and this we we just stand up for your values and be sure of who you are and you don't have to be apologetically and then the world will respond in kind. We don't have to be a, apologize or be embarrassed or we just have to do what we need to do with you know with a smile and and, and who really cares who who responds and how they respond within a, a global industry. I mean, right. whether or not they approve of you really shouldn't make a difference. If you honestly believe and value your life choices, it's like, like I said, whether it's sustainability and fashion or a kosher kitchen. I mean, I think it's the same idea of I'm going to do this because I believe it's right for me and I won't judge you. Please don't judge me, but have respect. My sons love dressing up like their father. Does that ever happen in your household? Clothing in the same style and colors has been a little bit easier to find. The hard part has always been looking for shoes. Until Mokas came along. Mokas is a premium loafer shoe brand offering matching pairs for fathers and sons. How fun is that? Mokas are not only comfortable and super stylish, but they're designed and made with kits in mind. That means durability. How's that for a perfect shoe? Every pair of Mokas is handmade with beautiful, high-quality leather and flexible soles, striking the perfect balance between the look of a loafer and the comfort of a moccasin. I love the idea of the men in my life wearing beautifully designed, comfortable, durable shoes that are also affordable. Oh, and if this wasn't enough, Mokas is committed to transparency, ensuring ethical manufacturing practices and fair trade with the workers who help bring this beautiful shoe to market. The company will donate a portion of Mokas profits to Souls for Souls. Mokas are available in four beautiful beautiful colors. I'm partial to the gorgeous blue with red sole, but there's also a striking ruby red limited edition available through Mocha's Kickstarter campaign. You can choose Mocha's for the men and boys in your life at mocha's.com forward slash Yael and take advantage of the early bird discount on its Kickstarter campaign. Mocha's is spelled M-O-C-K-A-S. Whether it's a pair for one of the men in your life or all the men in your life, choose quality, style, and comfort at mocha's.com forward slash Yael. Let's talk about you. You mentioned before that some people might find um, some of the Jewish observances a little bit restrictive, um, including modesty. And of course, it's obvious now uh, from our conversation that you find tremendous meaning in it. Um, but I know that the concept is still very foreign to many and some some might be skeptics. So maybe even some of my listeners. So tell us about the meaning behind modesty, the way you see it. So modesty um, beyond Jewish dress code dictates, um, I think it's really an individualized, um, an individualized thing, a meaning, I think each person kind of, you've got the skirt, you've got the shirt, you've got the wig. And then within that, it's how, what, what makes you feel modest? And I, I'm often photographing with my head down, or I, I tend to wear voluminous pieces. I like a lot of structure. I don't know, like I find what works for me, but I have good friends who are very modest and do it their way. So for me, I think, um, you know, like I said before, my modesty is kind of the physical embodiment, kind of my badge of honor, um, that I'm a Jew, that I'm a Jewish wife and a mother. And, you know, if I was walking around in jeans and a tee, like what would be, what would make me different than the, the, the girl I was born? You know, I adopted my Hebrew name Adi, but I was raised with the English name Amber. 
So what would make the difference if I didn't have a skirt and I didn't have a wit? Like to me, it would it would feel like I was probably just amber mm. and not the D. So it's kind of really just I'm a very committed individual. If I believe in something, I really I I do it to the point I feel it's you know where I want to be. So for me, that is my modesty. But like I said, I think it's personal. I I, I can't stress enough that we as people have the power to create our own realities and to find ourselves within our own religion, our own communities, our own, uh, you know, families. You know, if you see something as restrictive or negative, it probably will be. But if you choose to see it as empowered or something that's worth your energy, mm-hmm. then it will be that as well. It can be positive. It's just really how you look at it. Yes. Again, if I did not enjoy what I was doing or respect and value the things I have created, I wouldn't be doing them. And I would not be living the life I live. I just wouldn't do it. Why would I want to be happy? What kind of child would I raise? So I think, especially for our children, think about things. Yeah. Yep. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Adi, we're in the post Me Too era. And in many ways, I've had this conversation before with guests on the show. I think this is just part of a broader trend, like a new wave or age of feminism. What role does modest fashion play in this new feminism age that we're living in? And is, is the trend here to stay? Well, I, I don't think modesty is a trend. I, I It's not, it's kind of a long-term wear for a large majority of religious people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think what we've seen is as the retail environment is in, in flux right now, there, you know, everything's changing. I mean, brick and mortar stores versus the dot coms. And we're seeing a need for the markets to reach out. And it has an inclusivity and it has variations within fashion. And the presence of modest option, I think, reflects this expansion of the mainstream fashion spectrum. So I think the need for modest designs, it may be associated largely with a religious kind of sect, but there's a broader consumer base. And in terms of Me Too, there's there's been a move to covering up and a move to speaking up. And I think a concept that now has been rarely taken seriously by feminists, like dressing so discreetly or being clothed in a quieter manner, that, that the idea of modesty can be a secular feminist option now. And it's really just an individual woman's choice to show less rather than more as an act maybe she might see it as empowerment or we've spoken a little bit that it's it's even rebellious to you know it was associated or it could be that you're not going to just do the norm or the expected like i said cover up and speak up when i guess it used to be show more and say less mm-hmm. by the way how did you even get involved in fashion was it does this happen happen right after college um no well it was after college but was it was it through journalism were you yes. writing oh I, was not at all invested in fashion at all. Yeah. I, I was a tomboy. I played sports. I, I always was artistic. I painted. I was always like extremely artistic, but I never, I don't know. I never cared that. I didn't grow up around fashion like that. Wait, you were a tomboy? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I, yeah, I was, I was born in Texas. I was raised young, living in the country. Uh-huh. I didn't choose a lot. <laughs> it was a very free-spirited kind of, um, very natural, very, I don't know. It was, it was a great way to grow up. Very grounded and very connected to nature and to yourself, I think. Uh And I was homeschooled young and my mom and dad have a very like Montessori mindset in that children can kind of learn at their own pace. So if you excel in one area, you really can run with it. And, and 
whereas in the classroom setting, you know, you really have to, I mean, now there, you know, there are Montessori schools, but in the typical academic setting, across the board, people have to take a certain test and do a certain project and everybody's kind of kept to one level. So I, I was a reader, I was a writer and I loved animals and, you know, I kind of just grew up like that. And I, I, I did very well at sports. Um, I was like my dad's tomboy. And so I grew up playing sports. And um, so when we converted, it was definitely a shift to put on a skirt and not to be able to play sports and dress immodestly. And modesty is not something I adopted right away. It was definitely a transition for me. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like, oh, I'm Jewish and now I'm putting on a skirt. It was something that was, I really took on as I accepted it because my parents really gave us that, um, you know, that opportunity to come into it our own. And even now, I mean, I really have no one that, I don't feel pressure to be modest, to be Shomer Shabbat, to do all these things. I do it because I believe in it. And um, so, um, so back to the initial question, it was through journalism. I got to it. And it happened to be when I got into fashion, it was like a match made in heaven. I, I, uh, it works for me. It's been such an easy industry for me. And that you hear people that just, it, it can be so difficult. And um, I don't know. I love it. It's fun. I love the challenge of doing it my way. I love that I can do it my way and showing everyone that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also, I love the artistry. I, I think fashion, you know, shop. I'm not a shopper. I never go shopping. I'm Are you serious? Never. <laughs> never. <laughs> no, I, 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 it's like overwhelming the stores. I know exactly pretty much what I'm going to wear a season before it's ever there. You know, I, I go to the runway shows. So I'm very aware of what's coming and I buy a lot of vintage and I, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm very into under consumption at this point. So uh-huh. I like to buy mindfully and if I, and, and to rewear and uh, to be empowered by the idea that you can, you know, do that and re, re, reshape things and rework things. And it's just, it's a big world. And I, I think when you have a, when you can wear anything or you work in the industry and you can be photographed wearing anything, it makes you really mindful and it almost calls you, cause you to pull back and really reevaluate. So, um, I, yeah, I, I love fashion and that when you see a runway show or you, when you meet with a designer and they speak about their collection, it's, it's emotional and it's beautiful and it is a craft and it is an art. And when something is so right and you know, that will be the trend of the season. When you see that single look on a runway, it's like magic. You're like, that is fashion right now. And you feel it and everyone in the room feels it. It's, it's almost like modesty was for a bit. It was just like everywhere. And everybody was writing about it. And um, like I said, at this point, it's mainstream and here to stay. But it, so I love that. And I connect with that. And I've been really, really fortunate to be able to trend cast, write about it and be, you know, be validated by the industry. And it's, it's really Hashem. I, I, something I never trained in. I have had zero experience in. I worked really, really hard through my 20s. And then I launched Avology um, when I turned 30 and I had my son. So it was really just like a snowball. It was like learning my craft and then making it work for me. Amazing. Amazing. Well, you talked before about physicality and the world we live in, we can get very distracted by it, but you stand out as somebody who's like strong and spiritually centered again in an industry where there's so much pressure to be, to look a certain way and self image. And it could be a very superficial industry, hyper-focused on physicality, but how do, how do you navigate that? How do you manage to keep it all in perspective and your head above the water? Um, I, 
Absolutely. The industry, I would say, kind of breeds conformity and you know, influencers and superficiality. I mean, it, it, now more than ever, I mean, it's unbelievable. But I mean, the truth is for me, like I'm in the business of fashion. I'm usually too busy working and creating to worry if the industry is approving. Um, I think working in an industry that's a revolving door and um, is constantly ever changing and you have to pivot to stay relevant. And even even within modesty in this, it's 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 constantly it's a, it's a hamster wheel and it's exciting. And it's fun. And it's it's cool. But. I think you have to make smart moves. I think you have to play the game and pay your dues when you feel the outcome will be positive and beneficial. Mm-hmm. But I have to really have a strong sense of self, a strong sense of where you're going to survive. Um, for me, my you know self-belief and my faith were essential. I mean, at core, I'm really just a mom, a wife, and a you know a Jewish woman who likes to make a really you know beautiful Shabbos and um, pioneering in a new space that connected my industry with my Judaism was hugely inspiring. It was a way the fa- in a way the fashion industry really couldn't after a certain point. So I think that keeps me grounded because I'm always trying to reinvest my inspiration, and I'm always looking at ways to see inspiration, motivation within contemporary culture. And I love drawing that and making a picture with that and then giving it to people because I think that's, that's part of my craft and um, it's all there and it's so unbelievable. Hashem, it's like, you know, just seeing miracles every day or just, I don't, I don't know. For me, yeah. it's, I'm a creative animal. So it's a whole art space. Like I just walk around super inspired by like random things, but, um, but it's, it's amazing. And so I think really just tapping in to what makes you feel good and what makes you feel like being you is the best you can do and just sticking with that and whatever that is whether it's whatever industry i think that's the key either way i mean if not you're just going to be waving in the wind with anything i mean mm-hmm. i think you know choose your life choose what you want to do just be happy i'm like an i'm a huge proponent in my house we're not <laughs> if, it, if we're not happy we're not doing it what's so ridiculous so happy because half the time nobody even cares what you're doing does your son um how old is your son adi he's six oh, so he, is he too young to appreciate like what you doing your pictures your instagram posts does he does he comment well i i don't often put my son or my husband or my 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 family on social media i know just, that but but yeah it's just something i don't want to invite i i don't i i know that people spread so much joy you know with showcasing their family and through different scopes and but for me it just didn't feel it it just doesn't feel like something that would that feels organic for my family right so um but he is proud of you i mean is, I, is it does he yeah, express pride or is it too early I, he knows what i do and he knows what fashion week is and he understands but i I don't think he really knows. I don't think he knows whether his sneakers are a dollar ninety nine or Gucci. I don't think he knows <laughs> because it's not really, we don't talk about it in my house like that. So, so I don't know. I feel like he'll know eventually what I do, and I hope he's proud. And I do largely what I do for him because I I don't have extended family. Um, with Jewish heritage and I live in New York without family and I, you know, I really, I do what I do a lot because I want to, I want to inspire him and I want to give, give us a really strong Jewish life here and roots. Right. So, um, so yeah, I hope so. I hope he loves it. I don't know. He's in fourth grade. He loves his iPad right now. 
<laughs> my son also just started first grade. It's such a sweet age. I love it. <laughs> but he's my baby. He's my youngest. Wow, that's so nice. Yeah. Well, mine's the oldest and youngest, so I can. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and Dee, before we do JLP fill in the blanks, I have I can't let you go without asking you for parting fashion advice for listeners. Like, if you had to give any tip or advice to the ladies listening out there, what would you give them? Well, what context? Like, styling, modesty, trends, like um... style and trends. What to do? Maybe what not to do. <laughs> um, you're asking a girl who wears a poncho sometimes. So I would, um, I would say, that's that's advice. Wear a poncho if you feel like it. Yeah, um, I would say wear what works for your body type is always huge. Um, know your body type. Have a great tailor with modesty. Um, being so covered, I think um, structure and fit can make or break a look. So I would say have a great tailor and valuable. And also he can be super creative. I often buy two pieces and join them to make one with the same fabric, you know, or alter something to be longer, shorter. I think, you know, take a great tailor. Um, yeah. Invest wisely. I'm very, and I think even fashion right now, um, you see this like renaissance and this revolution of like a pullback from vintage. You see it within Gucci. You see it with Burberry. You see it with Fendi. You see everybody's pulling back what they did in the 80s and the 90s. So I think, you know, if you love something, just buy it and wear it. Who cares if it's not the bag? I, I think if you love it, I don't think you should feel pressure every season to recycle a wardrobe and completely reinvest. I think if you have a sense of self and style, and if you don't have that, then maybe learn that or work with a stylist or work with someone or study up or, um, you know, learn yourself. When I look in my closet, I really try to make sure everything in my closet is something I would want to wear and be seen in and photographed in and I love and it's comfortable and works for me. I never want to say, oh, I really want to wear this again because it's my favorite. I really want to love everything I wear and mix and match it. And then yes, add in new things each season and maybe, you know, change it up. But you should have a core base of really basics that work for you that you can come back to and feel like yourself. And I think within modesty, that's developing more. For a while, it was a very kind of feminine vibe. And for me, that didn't work. I'm not, I, I, I like a more masculine look. Like I said, I grew up wearing more jeans and I more of a tomboy. So I like a boyfriend blazer. And that wasn't always associated with modesty. Mm. And it's kind of evolved to be that and, or to include that. And I love that. So I think just, you know, find a sense of self, explore, modesty is everywhere now. So you, there's no excuse when people can't find something to wear. It's just, they're, they're making an excuse. <laughs> Thank God of the box, so, people. Get creative. It's to make it work for you and enjoy it and don't stress it. It's, it. Fashion should be fun. And if it's not fun, then you're not doing it right. I love that. All right, Adi, finish these sentences for me, okay? Oh, goodness, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is the challenging part. No, it's not challenging, I promise. I'm Adi Heyman, and I feel most spiritual when? Um, when I'm in nature, um, or I would say when I'm witnessing, like I, I said, the small miracles every day, when, when you see those happen and, you know, it's really encouraging and guiding just to see Hashem in your life every day. Mm. So it's the chance things that happen that really make me feel like, wow, Hashem's in control. It's, this is all really 
Like, yeah, those it is what you create, you know? Yeah, I call them like a wink from above. Like you feel like Hashem was winking at you when you see these divine provinces like right yeah, before your eyes. Well said. Yeah, yeah. I created a in the blog I have a column called Wednesday Winks because it was coming out every Wednesday. I've I've kind of let it go since, but I should get oh, back to it. Huh? I'll email you. You have to start again. <laughs> yes, yes, because I love sharing those stories. Because I also feel like it's so important for us to share those moments when they happen to us, to share it with our friends so that we're reminded that that there <laughs> that the things are happening the way they are for a reason and we can't forget that. No, I think I, that's what life's about. I right. have a good friend um, who's a blogger, Elizabeth Savetsky, and she and I are like all about inspiration and friendship and that you're just constantly pointing out things, inspiring, pivoting. And it's like, that's what it's about. Yeah. It's not nerdy to like love Hashem and see him and talk about it and, and want to grow and want to be better. And it, I, I think that's like, people have always said, it's amazing. Like if email me or reached out to me and said like, you're, you're so like proud of your Judaism and Hashem and like you take ownership of it. And like they typically it's something they shy away from. And I just think that's a a shame such a shame so sad well i'm you're you're reverting that trend because you're really a uh, role model for so many so yay yay amazing all right my favorite mitzvah or one i feel most connected with is shabbos oh i know what would we do without it seriously <laughs> love it i don't know i also i also came to religion uh, later in life and it's like what what how did i live without this i can you imagine now in current society living without right with, with media and oh my gosh unbelievable oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah 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 my fondest sweetest jewish memory is um so when when my family moved to miami beach florida after we converted uh we moved from texas to florida um i went to the hebrew academy of miami beach um and i was kind of my my older sister she kind of finished high school and went to israel early because she didn't really have a time for the Jewish education. And so I kind of was like immersed in it going in ninth grade and finishing high, high school um, in a Jewish academic environment. And I actually learned Hebrew first. And I, I taught my father um, Kiddush for Shabbos. And because I knew it, I was able to teach a lot um, to my parents and my family. And that's really a special, you know, it was really a gift. It was. That's so beautiful. Do you guys travel to Israel often? Do you get away? I didn't ask you because you love nature so much, but you live in Manhattan. How did you get to get away a little bit? Well, we spend our summers in the Hamptons, which mm -hmm. is very similar, actually. In the, it's it's very rural, and there's horses and dogs. I I have two dogs I rescue, adopt, don't shop. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so we get out there in the summers, and then we go to Israel a few times a year. Nice. Um, but yeah, we do travel. We we do travel. Um, so nice. Yeah. Something I wished I had learned about Judaism growing up is I think the unspoken, um, like the unspoken traditions, like this common knowledge that everyone takes for granted in the community that I have like no awareness of. <laughs> That, I don't know. It's like, it's this, it's like the small thing. There may be not like Torah laws, but there's like traditions that I just don't know. And actually I'm learning a lot through my son mm. because he learns from school or like, you know, he'll come home and learn songs that I have to like look them up on the iPad because I don't know childhood Jewish songs like that. 
Um, so I think it's just those small things that people take for granted. That's such a beautiful part of the culture that like I didn't know about. And I guess people, I don't know, maybe there's a book on it or something I could have read young, but <laughs> I'm just figuring out now, like, oh my gosh, that's why people do that. I had no idea. I thought it was just because they liked it. I love it. I love it. So maybe I- that gives me the insider outsider point of view that's kind of allowed me to do what I do. So it's been, you know, kind of that unique perspective without that. Maybe that would have jaded me. I don't know. By the way, where did, you, did you meet your husband in college or was it later uh, later in life when you were already in Manhattan, living in Manhattan? So, well, I, I met my husband um, my last year of college. Okay, yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I give tzedakah, I like to give to. I'm a big proponent of empowerment with tzedakah. Um, I value um, education. And I think rather than we all, we should all give in all capacities. But personally, I like to give where I feel like we can educate and empower. Um, I work with the Jewish life at the Fashion Institute of Technology. And we did a great little Jewish summit called Faith and Fashion um, last fall that raised a lot of money. And we're, we're building up a lot of support for fashion students in that field that want to stay Jewish and religious or might want to design modestly, but want to really have the skill and the education behind it. And um, it's so important. I, I support Israel's Open University. Mm. Uh, higher access to higher education for all of Israeli society including soldiers on duty and ultra-Orthodox individuals. They offer this great distant learning curriculum. Um, So from women can learn from home and get a degree. I think it's so important that within Israel that, you know, the people have the ability to be religious, to be soldiers, to be whatever they want to be, but also to have an education and give back to the land and bring business. I've I've worked in fashion in Israel um, within Tel Aviv some, and it's it's tough there. It's it's been it's a tough market. It's it's tough. They you know. So I think really to do that, I'm a big advocate, like I said, for animals, and I um I recently partnered to work with the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals here in New York. Um, wow. Yes, PCA. Um, in a non-Jewish capacity, but um, I, I'm going to be working with them a lot this year. So, um, yeah, I don't, you know, I just, these, these, I feel like Hashem kind of brings me these opportunities and they feel right. So that's where I really try and give back and uh, put my, my support. So Amazing. And finally, I'm a D. Heyman and today I'm most grateful for. Um, today. I'm grateful for today. Adi, you are such an inspiration. I knew you were, but your words really, this is, this is, thank yeah. you so much. I'm so grateful for this. Keep us posted. The new website is going to be at dheyman.com, correct? It will. <laughs> Keep posted. It'll be on Instagram and I'll, you'll hear, um, you'll definitely hear about it. So. We are looking forward. Thank you so much. Such an inspiration. You surpassed I guess, expectations, and I'm just excited to potentially collaborate again in the future. Thanks, Adi Heyman, for stopping by. Stay tuned for Adi's Jewish lifestyle website, adiheyman.com. In the meantime, you can follow Adi on Instagram at Adi Heyman. It's a few days before Yom Kippur, so I want to wish you all a Gemar Chatimatova. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you again for being here. And thank you for putting up with the somewhat choppy schedule of the summer and then of Tishrei, of course, which came upon us just as the kids went back to school, making timely production a little bit more challenging. And of course, Sukkot will also be on a Monday, Tuesday and Simchat Torah, but Tishrei will be over and we'll be back to a regular schedule. Stay tuned for next week when we'll come back with an important community issue, breast and ovarian cancer. Gemar Chatimatova, everyone. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.